0: I invite you to grab your Bibles or a device you can read the Scriptures on. And uh, this morning we're going to do it a little different. We're going to stand while we read the Scriptures. So look to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This passage begins by talking about the last days. We're actually going to address that as a subject tonight at our 5 o'clock service. Um, and then it transitions to the last couple of verses of this chapter, which will be the focus of our text and message. So, 2 Timothy 3, once you found it, let's stand and I'll read the Scripture for us. You are welcome to follow along. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes... "...and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these, also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected." They will not get very far because in the case of, the, of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Paul is speaking here. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God. You may be seated. Hussein lives in Iran, and he and his friend were in a park one afternoon when a stranger approached them and offered them a magazine and a book. They looked at this magazine. It was a Christian publication that was reviewed movies, one of which they were interested in seeing. But the fact that it was a Christian publication made them nervous. And then they looked at the book that was given to them, and they discovered it was a Bible which was illegal for them to have. That made them very nervous. So they threw both of those things away after the man left. But later that night, Hussein had a dream about children eating a book. But the book looked very similar to the Bible. About a week later, his brother, Hussein's brother, came home with a Bible. He'd been studying with a friend whose grandma was sick and was there when the friend's family gathered around this grandma and prayed healing for her in Jesus' name. And the grandmother got well and Hussein's brother was astounded and he went home with the Bible. When Hussein's father saw the Bible, he got angry. He whipped it out the window into the back corner of the yard. He had nothing to do with that. But in the night, Hussein went out, retrieved the Bible, and began to read it secretly every night. And as he read, he heard God speaking to him, and he put his faith in Jesus A few months later, Hussein's mother was in pain. She needed surgery but was not able to get surgery because of her diabetes. Hussein's brother remembered that family of his friend. They gathered around that grandmother and they prayed in Jesus' name and something seemed to happen for her. They loved their mom. So they said, why don't you come with us to my friend's house? Let's ask them if they will pray for you. And so that's what they did. Secretly, behind her husband's back, they went to the friend's house. They gathered around. They prayed in Jesus' name. And Hussein's mother said that prayer made her feel light and happy. Her words. When her husband found out about it, he was furious. He said, I'd rather have you die than have Christians pray for you. But in spite of his opposition, Hussein, having witnessed now several of these unusual events, he too became a follower of Jesus. Then one day, Hussein and his brother noticed their dad just seemed troubled. Evidently, someone had put a gift in their mailbox. It was a book, it was a Bible. And he didn't know what to do. You're not supposed to have a Bible. You're not supposed to read a Bible. He was committed to Islam and to his own religion. But his sons urged him to read the book. Maybe Allah will speak to you through it, they said to him. So he took a risk and he started reading the Bible. And when he got to John chapter 10, he read about the voice of a shepherd Jesus the Good Shepherd, the text says. And His sheep hear His voice and listen to His voice and follow Him. And it brought Hussein's father back to his childhood days when he was a sheep herder. And those sheep did listen to Him, did follow Him, and all of a sudden it clicked for Him. God was speaking to Him. Jesus is the Good Shepherd And he surrendered his life to follow the Good Shepherd, Jesus. Not long after, the daughter in the family, the last member of the family who hadn't become a Christian, also became one. And they all followed Jesus. In Iran. True story. That, friends, is the power of God's Word. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In our text, Timothy had grown up in a Christian home. And Paul, in this verse 15, talks about the influence of Scripture in Timothy's life as he was growing up. This is what Paul writes. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. It's through Scripture that we become aware of our sin and our sin problem. It's through Scripture that we become aware that God has addressed this problem by sending His Son, Jesus, and we can receive forgiveness and eternal life if we put our trust in Jesus. That's the good news of the Gospel. And so Paul here in our text says, All Scripture comes from God. Not just the passages that talk about Jesus. Not just the red letters, if you have a red letter Bible, where Jesus is speaking. But every part of Scripture is from God, and God speaks to us through it. It's God-breathed, to use Paul's phrase. It's inspired People wrote it, lots of different people, each with their own style and personality. Every author of the Bible sounds different if you know those original languages, but God used each of them so that we hear Him speaking to us through it today. It's God's Word. The Apostle Peter describes it like this, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how it worked, evidently. And then the author of Hebrews talks about how powerful Scripture can be. He writes, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So the Bible isn't just useful to bring us to Christ. It is useful for that. But Paul then goes on to say the Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for many important things. And so let's read our text together. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're going to unpack that text this morning. First of all, Paul says, Scripture is useful for teaching. Teaching is really important. Teachers have a very important job. And in some ways, all of us are teachers, especially if you have children or grandchildren. We're constantly teaching, and we all are lifelong learners. We're constantly learning. But not every teaching is good or true. Not every perspective is in line with what the Scripture says. So it takes some discernment as we learn. Is this from God or is this from another source? Does it contradict what God says in Scripture? So, for example, let's say a student goes to a public university and there is exposed to a a thought known as social marxism that's a very widespread ideology today taught by many many professors in many institutions cultural marxism marxism from Karl marx was always about the oppressor who owned the businesses and the means of production they oppressed the workers and you had to be on the side of the workers so it's turned into a cultural marxism today where anybody who is oppressed In any way, anyone who would be considered a victim, we must always take their side. That's the indoctrination in many, many places today. Is that true? Is that from the perspective of Scripture? Is a question every Christ follower needs to ask. Well, it leads to certain sorts of beliefs. So, some believe women have been oppressed for centuries by men terrible thing. So we always have to take the side of women. So if a woman makes an allegation of rape, we must always take her side and believe her because she's the victim. She's the oppressed one. We always take the side of the victim. But, but then that leads to injustice against unfair accusations because some women aren't telling the truth, it turns out. And that gets us into the weeds. Others say black people are the victims. They've been victims. They've been oppressed in our culture for centuries. We must always side with them. So because black people are the victims, if they commit crimes, we should go easy on them. We shouldn't really prosecute them because they're victims after all. But when that happens, then all of a sudden communities, many of them African American communities, become rife with crime and and other sorts of injustices, it becomes a miserable place to live in those places because this ideology is working its way out into real life. Some professors teach that the Palestinians are the victims in this war with Israel. They've been oppressed for a long time, so we must take their side. And then all of a sudden we see thousands of students marching protesting because they want to take the side not just of the Palestinians, which would be one thing, but they're taking the side of Hamas, the terrorist leaders of the Palestinian people who justify the butchering of children and the raping of women simply because they're Israelis and they're the oppressors. It fits the worldview. But it leads to horrible atrocities. It's a worldview. It's a teaching that doesn't root itself in the truth of Scripture. And it it works its way into real life in horrible ways that everyone is aghast at, but no one really figures out why this has happened. It's because of teaching. Teaching is important. The Bible says we need to know the truth. We need to walk in the truth. That's the important thing. And we find truth where? We find truth in the Scriptures. The Bible says what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. It never really addresses whether you're a victim or not or whether you're oppressed or not. And then whether it's more true or less true, it's always true. And so, we're supposed to live that way. That's a little bit different perspective. Jesus said, If you truly are my disciples, if you remain faithful, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But then we have to be humble enough to admit maybe we're not right. Maybe we're not correct about a particular belief or opinion that we hold. How do you know if you're right or not right? Scripture? Conversation with godly people, perhaps? There's a discernment process that we can use. But that's what our text says too. Let's read this together. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Because the truth is, there are times when we need correction. When your child is learning their uh, math tables and they say 2 plus 2 is 5, Daddy, you say, no, 2 plus 2 is 4. They need to be corrected that there's a truth there that's important. Math isn't an opinion. It's either right or it's not right. So we need to be corrected. Correction according to Scripture isn't just pointing out where we're wrong, but it's pointing us to the truth. Pointing us to what is right. Psalm 119 does this. It says, "...how can a young person stay pure? By obeying Your Word. I've tried hard to find You. Don't let me wander from Your commands." I've hidden Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. God's Word is important for discerning what's right, what's not right, what's correct, what's incorrect. We need to know that Word and hide it in our hearts so that we can walk in God's ways. Last week, you might remember, we were talking about King David and King David amassing all this wealth because he was this warrior king who expanded the boundaries of Israel from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And you might remember I used the phrase the kingdom expanded from the river to the sea. One of you caught that phrase and took offense by it because that is actually a pretty toxic phrase all by itself. It's very anti-Semitic. It's it's said to believe, those who use that phrase, that all the Jewish people ought to be annihilated in the land of Israel so that the Palestinians can live from the river to the sea. It's a horrible thing to believe in and advocate for. That was the phrase I used. That isn't at all what I meant by that. And this person mentioned it to me and I thanked them. Because I don't want to be an advocate for that sort of a thing. I hope that I wasn't misunderstood by any of the rest of you. So, as a public speaker, we can make mistakes. Sometimes we need to be corrected. And if you ever hear me make a mistake, if you ever hear me say something that doesn't line up with Scripture, please let me know. Because my job is to interpret Scripture correctly. To speak the truth and to speak it in love. Sometimes, though, we not only need to be corrected, we need to be rebuked. That's the other word Paul uses here. Because sometimes we're walking down a path of sin and wickedness and someone needs to love us enough to call us out. To point it out and to call us back to what's right. We need to be admonished. We need to be rebuked. This is what John the Baptist did to King Herod when King Herod... Married, divorced his wife to marry his niece. Kind of scandalous. King Herod had no intention of following the Scripture, but he also didn't like being called out publicly by a popular prophet of the day. So he had John the Baptist arrested, and it wasn't too long before his new wife found the opportunity to get John the Baptist beheaded and killed. Sometimes, we need to be rebuked. When our child is about to chase a ball into a busy street, for example, we don't just wait till the next day and say, you know, honey, you might not want to do that. If you're in the front yard with your kids playing ball and it's a busy street and the ball goes across the street and they're running to the street, what do you do? You yell. Stop! Don't! You rebuke that child because their safety, their life is at risk. They should never run across the street without looking both ways first. Sometimes we need to be rebuked. Rebuke is a stronger form of correction that's appropriate sometimes even in the spiritual sense. And that brings us to the fourth word Paul uses in this text. Let's again read it out loud. All All Scripture is God-free and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When someone's serious about losing weight, it often requires them to get on some sort of weight loss regimen with tracking calories, eating less calories, exercising more, those sorts of things are often a part of those training regimens. The same thing is needed by those who want to follow Jesus. We need a training regimen that helps us, over time, become more like Jesus. That helps us meet our goals. We need a spiritual training regimen. And that <clears throat> excuse me, always includes Scripture. We need to retrain our minds to think what is true and right and good, not just what the world tells us to think about or pursue. We need our values, our desires, our thoughts, our will. All of it has to be retrained and recalibrated to match what the Lord says in His Word. So Paul says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We don't just drift into becoming a lifelong follower of Jesus. It doesn't just happen without any effort. It takes great effort, great intentionality, and a spiritual training regimen. And so, at Hillcrest, in all of our discipleship ministries, we use a scheme like this. It's called the Stop, Look, Listen, Respond Method. There are sheets just like this at the Welcome Center. You can help yourself. But it's a simple thing. You don't need the sheet to do it. You just need to remember those four things. First thing is you stop and you say, where is my heart today? It's a reflective question. Where am I at with God? What's going on? And then, the next one is look. So you take a piece of Scripture. It might just be a single verse or it might be a passage. And then you... You say, God, what are You drawing me to? What words out of this verse or passage are standing out to me? What are You drawing my focus into? And then you listen. Lord, what is Your thought for me today from Your Word? What is God saying to you through those highlighted words? And then the last one is to respond. Lord, what do I need to talk to You about? Or what are You asking me to do? Because being a follower of Jesus isn't just about learning more information. It's about being equipped to live this life that God wants us to live. Our text reminds us it's so that we can be equipped to do the good things that God wants us to do. We are God's people equipped to do His work. We need to know who we are. We've talked about that. We've sung about that. We are children of God. We are followers of Jesus. It's our intention to walk in God's ways and to walk in the truth. And, and when we do that, God often will call us to be a godly influence in the lives of those around us, in the lives of our kids, in the lives of our grandkids. Sometimes those closest to us are the most challenging because they can irritate us the most. So we're called to be patient, we're called to use self-control, we're called to love and be gracious. Or perhaps it's being a godly influence in your workplace, being a winsome person who loves people, who cares about people. Maybe it's praying for your neighbors. Maybe you have people who live nearby who don't go to church and don't know Jesus and don't seem very interested. So then you want to get to know them and you want to build a relationship with the hope of maybe they might come to church with you or you might have the opportunity to share your faith story with them. But all of it involves being the salt of the earth, being the light of the world, being God's people called to do His things. Because God has some things He wants you to do this week. I wonder what they are. And will you be in His Word enough, listening to His Word in spirit so that you will see what those things are and you will do them and wonderful things will result? We need to grow deeper in Scripture so that we can become the people that God wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this book. It is life-giving for us. And we pray for Your forgiveness when we neglect it because just opening it on a Sunday morning isn't nearly enough. One meal a week leaves us spiritually malnourished. So, Lord, give us the discipline to open Your Word daily, to just look and see what You're saying to us. Highlight a word for us. Highlight a verse for us. Give us Your marching orders for the day so that we can be Your lifelong disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.